All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 13 of the Totem Podcast, which we still need a name for, so if you've got ideas or suggestions, please send them in. Our next guest, before our next guest comes, we're going to have a name for this thing. So, no guest today, but we are excited to talk about a few things, including Village Bourbon, which was a gift from a dear friend of the firm's. Um, so thank you, Joe. Uh, really looking forward to digging in today. From Vermont. Vermont. Not somewhere where you usually would see bourbon, but... 60% corn, 40% rye. That's what they Did say. I get that right? Yes. And no maple syrup or uh, artificial sweeteners. Spoiler alert, it's good. Very good. It's very good. Um, but the current event... We'll get to in a second, but the uh, the business topic is going to be should you buy or lease your space if you're a small business owner. Um, but the current event is so last week we had a property tour with a client, and they uh, were looking at spaces in downtown Pittsburgh and on the North Shore, which is obviously on the other side of the river where the stadiums are at. Incredible redevelopment uh, called Nova Place. And their holdup right now on that decision is the fact that the north side has started to become a tent city. Um, and if you walk out the back door of Nova Place and look across the street, there's probably, if I were to guess, 50 to 60 tents, uh, which has become an all too familiar topic and concept here in Pittsburgh. So curious from the both of you thoughts on what this city can do to stave off what seems to become mean a mounting issue and now impacting commercial real estate decisions directly everywhere and it's not just pittsburgh it's it's everywhere in the country and probably everywhere in the globe um it's just a huge issue and it's completely out of hand yeah and it's wild like this is legitimately the first time it's impacted at least to the best of our knowledge a client's decision about where they're going to occupy or where they're going to uh, occupy space to house a hundred employees. Like this is not a insignificant decision. You, but you think it's really the first time that someone has. I, I mean, no, I think it's just it's the first time it's impacted well, so, uh, a client directly yeah, to one us. Of our clients. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I feel, um, you know, in the last, I lived downtown until, you know, fall of 2019, and so just before the pandemic, basically. Is that right? Yeah. It was spring of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, okay. So, I, yeah, it seems like I was in my house longer than that. But anyways, so the decision that I made to leave downtown um, where I was renting is it gotten it had gotten noticeably worse in the previous year. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say from the end of 2018 to the, you know, third quarter of 2019. And when you say worse, what does that mean? Um as far as less people out and about in the in at night mm-hmm. um more homeless people that would follow you um get aggressive with you um also just dirtier like i got you couldn't go anywhere at any point in time in the day without smelling pee or seeing other things that were worse than that um and it just largely, I, I used to take my dog to the 9th Street Dog Park, which was across Fort Duquesne, and I could never walk in the other direction towards 7th or 6th Streets because they, there were people just lined up there openly doing drugs. Um, 
you know, so as, as bad as the homeless problem is now, um, when I was down there, um, it was just blatant drug use, um, which I think has probably contributed to the rise in homeless over the last couple of years. Right. But I know a lot of people when I, when I lived downtown and when I was looking to get out of downtown, a lot of people that I was talking to at the time were in the same situation because they had felt like it had gotten noticeably less safe. Um, and, you know, people didn't want to work downtown, people didn't want to have to park downtown, but people were also kind of scared to be downtown after dark. And I think that's just gotten worse since. And, and this particular situation was a tenant coming in to an area. Yeah, they're <laughs> trying to convince, I mean, they're, they're struggling like everybody else to recruit. And they're a suburban company right now who is deciding, like, will the energy of the city be enough to help them in their recruiting wars because all the people that they're losing to are either in the strip or in Lawrenceville or on the north side or downtown because of the energy. Um, but they're really worried about does the energy get offset by, in this very specific situation, the tent city right outside of Nova Place for their suburban employees who are used to driving up and parking at the front door of their, you know, Class B office building in middle america well and that's just the 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 one part of it what about the communities or the cities the urban areas that are actually losing tenancies right. washington dc new york city boston chicago yeah. la san francisco you can go on and on and it's not just they're losing their uh their their tax revenue sources from business and industry they're losing it from residences they're getting out of dodge because it's just it's uh it's the wild west and it is unsafe, and it is unsanitary, and it's completely out of out of order. Well, you will all be, well, perhaps, please, perhaps pessimistic, <laughs> pessimistic to know. Um, so there is something being done. I guess back in August, uh, city council charged Mayor Ganey um, and said, you know, he had two weeks to come up with some kind of plan of what they were going to do to solve for this problem because enough people had complained. Um, both private citizens and companies um, who felt that their presence here was being impacted negatively. Um, uh, and just a quick stat while we're at it, because I actually did my research today. Um, between May of 2021 and May of 2022, there was a 21% increase in documented homeless population in Pittsburgh. Too many Christmas. Which is pretty pretty crazy um do they have a tally on how many homeless people there are in pittsburgh i so it wasn't in the i've got the 21 yeah it wasn't in the um article i read today but i swear recently i saw something that said it was like 240 some people 240 people homeless yeah it's got to be way way bigger number than that but either here or there yeah oh yeah oh absolutely i mean there's 240 tents on the allegheny river like no way Definitely. On both sides of the river coming in. Absolutely. I think that there's at least 240 tents. And it's curious, and my son asked me this. This is what's so great about kids. They don't really, they don't have a filter in. They don't really know what they don't know. But he's like, why are all the tents red? Which made me think immediately, like, who is giving out these tents? Like, this isn't random that they're all red. There's certainly, the universe doesn't work like that. I didn't realize they were all red. But they're all red. So they're getting them from some point of service that's saying, we'd rather you have a tent than not have a tent. 
Well, and what's, I mean, but that's probably better. It, I would rather walk by a tent humane, but than a partially humane, naked man sleeping on the river trail. But it's totally creating like a... An acceptance, an enabling. Right. That's exactly what it's doing. And just to, to get a handle on the number, for those of us that do watch the news, the city <laughs> of Los Angeles had an estimated homeless population of over 70,000 people. Okay. And... So that's like 1%? That number... I know. A tenth of a percent. Uh, you have the calculator, but that yeah. number is being disputed by everybody in the city council saying it's completely undercounted. This is, if someone said there's 250 homeless people in Pittsburgh, there's no way that number is accurate. Right. Well, I'm also number dyslexic, so it could have been like 842 <sighs> or 480. <laughs> And, I don't think it's that. I don't think. I it's think that that's high. one of the issues is that it's. I, I bet there's 250 uh, homeless people. Yeah, in live Morgantown. fact check. How live many homeless check? people in yeah. Pittsburgh? <laughs> uh, it, it's just. It is enabling. It's not doing anything to solve the problem, and yeah, it's an exacerbating the but problem. But it's also a very difficult problem to solve. I mean, so it, the thing that the, they're talking about now is um, they're they're working with the city of Houston, and they're they're also um, studying. New York's implementation of the plan that the city of Houston used, which is called a housing first model. Because basically, like, you know, there are people who fall on hard times and just for, um, you know, inflation or whatever may be, they're evicted. But most of the people that you see out there definitely have mental illness or drug addiction. Some type of substance abuse. Right. Yes. And, and that is a very hard, like, giving. So over a thousand. Wait, what did you say? Eight hundred and eighty-seven during twenty twenty. Eight hundred eighty-seven in twenty twenty. Yeah, but twenty percent increase puts it at okay. like just over a thousand. Okay. So. So what? Disregard the two hundred and forty-eight number. Um, but anyway, so there's this plan that's that's called the Housing First Plan that has been successfully implemented in the city of Houston. Now New York is rolling out a similar plan, which basically seeks to provide these people with housing immediately while they then work to solve for the underlying problem of the mental health crisis or the the drug addiction um you know so it's it's a costly plan um the city of houston spends about a hundred million dollars a year on implementing this whereas right now pittsburgh and allegheny county have about 50 million dollars in the annual budget dedicated to um, assist with homelessness. Um, so it's a it's probably more than I spent on. Did you just say fifty million? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's only a thousand homeless people in the city. That's fifty thousand dollars per person. It, oh it, it that's that's just throwing money at a problem. The city of Denver just recently announced that they have a program or a plan, I don't know whether it's been enacted, to pay homeless people $1,000 per month. So $12,000 per year to put in the hands of someone who is drug addicted. Um, potentially. Potentially. I, I would, I don't have a statistic to back this up, right. but I would wager to say at least half and probably three quarters are on the, on the street because of some form of addiction. Or mental health. But again, I mean, health. so, or, but how's that any better? I mean, you can you can give them that money, 
I'm sure there's some kind of stipulation that they have to use a portion of it for housing, but... I don't think that you should give them that money. I think that... Well, what, the, what do we do with the people, Michael? <laughs> well, that's yeah. the, that literally is the conundrum. Like, it, what do you do? You, you I mean, are... we have to solve for the root problem. Like, So what's Ganey's plan? You said two weeks? Well, I mean, he had two weeks to come up with a plan, from what I can tell, at that... At Those the two, two weeks, weeks expired. <laughs> two weeks expired at the beginning of the 10, month. Two weeks ago. Um, so I don't think the plan has been rolled out yet. But the most recent article I read um, said that he and and I do give him credit because I don't know many previous mayors or city officials that would actually walk down through those like little tent communities. But um, his plan. Maybe he didn't do it. I don't know. But his plan was to walk down through there, talk to these people, then also go to New York City and see um, their implementation that is in progress of this Houston plan. Um, but obviously, there is still going to be a funding gap, likely. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, there is there is a shelter under construction in downtown Pittsburgh currently right. that will provide. Um, housing to 100 additional homeless people. So it's like 10%. We're like drastically, um, and actually that's probably not a statistic, but we don't, every article said that Pittsburgh just does not have the capacity to accommodate these homeless people, to get them off the street with the, by way of shelter. Well, I think, well, first of all, there's no shelter on the street, so let's start there, so. No, she's well, saying, like, yeah, it's built but, shelters. But there has to be some type of place. And it, it, my solution is a lot more brutal than anybody else's, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. No, because you have to get them off the street to start to solve the problem. How do you triage who is treatable and who isn't? Who is, uh, well, in that's a long term... that's what this would do. It's a housing-first plan to get them off the street. But are you sending them, them to 150 different locations of this being here or there or wherever? And... You have to find some form of a makeshift place to literally get them off the street to start with, to yeah. try to figure out what the and problem is. And that's what this would do. It would provide housing back. first to where they could triage and have professionals there to diagnose, like almost like a, a halfway house or a step-down house in, in some, some capacity. Type of, some type which, of... Yeah, I mean, costly, well, but also like... what? What's Costly, I mean, but what's the impact of not doing it? maybe having more companies like this client who are saying, no, we're not going to come downtown. Then you lose that tax base. I mean, it is a vicious it, It's cycle. a breakdown in society. It's people... Well, we can't go down that rabbit hole today. No, but... i got to have no, bourbon but, but, for that. Pop <laughs> tea is not going to get me through it. Here's the bottle. Mm, yeah. No, but it's just if, if, you, if you are coming down to a, to a community and saying... You have people living on the street. You have people defecating on the street. You have people harassing other, uh, you know, other citizens. That's not safe. It could be that's a Kenny a, Chesney concert or a Monday. Okay. It, well, it, it, what, the, the point is that it's not for civilized society, and we've allowed it to get to that point. Well, at, at some point in time, you have to stop it. You yeah. have to stop it, and in order to stop it, you have to do it in a in a almost with a finality, and there's no other way of doing that without being brutal about it. You have to get these guys off the, the street case, in the first place. I don't think that's and the And not case. let them back on. I think if you, if you, if there is enough of a rehabilitative component where you get them off the street and provide them with access to rehabilitative care, the 
the you can increase the likelihood that they will not just wind up back on the street a year later. Well, cart before the horse. First of all, if you get them off the street, you do not allow them back on the street. I think that's where the brutality comes from. Like at some point, in order to solve the issue, somebody has to go to the north side and stand outside a Nova place and eliminate that tension. Remove that. Like that has to happen, or the or it. You, you haven't solved the problem, even if you have a great like solution in the yes. background. So, I mean, it, it is fascinating that it is legitimately creeping into multiple million dollar decisions by corporations. Well, think of, think of other areas with much larger homeless problems. Yeah. You know, New York, Chicago, LA, San Francisco. Okay, they are losing people left and right. I think San Francisco, California itself, has lost close to 10% of their population. Yeah. I mean, that's an awful lot of people. Yeah, but I mean, can you, I don't think you can say, is that strictly just because of the homeless population? Or oh, California's got a whole fires? bunch of fires. Is it because uh, of No, no, no. I think, I, it's, mean... I think it's because of the whole, again, the breakdown of society. We haven't even touched on, and I don't think Pittsburgh's been hit with this yet, but you can pick the community where crime now has become a huge issue. Now, is that part of the homeless problem? Is it exacerbated by the homeless problem? Is it just a, Or is it exacerbated by the media? Because... I don't know. You know see, I don't know if there's a breakdown of society. People, we used to burn women at the stake because we thought they might be witches. Like, that's I don't, not true. <laughs> that is not true. We drowned them. I don't know if we're disintegrating <laughs> society or... No, they uh, weren't burned. Moral fabric is just really unraveling. Here. Well, I, I mean, listen, as an organization, we need to figure out a way to help in the process but at the same time it, it's a daunting task that i hope if there's anybody out there who's listening if we can do anything to help yeah and and i i don't mean to be you know snidely whiplash here but it's that you have to start someplace and at least eliminate the future part of the problem to get them into a place where they can be triaged when companies are coming into uh, certain areas and certain markets, one of the things that's going to be on their checklist of things to do, tell me about the crime. Tell me about the homeless situation. You know, I know what it's like to come down here, but all the other things that they wanted to find out, you know, space, availability, taxes, uh, employment base, now those are going to be questions that are on their checklist, and they're not going away. Yeah, I would think that the Allegheny Conference and like Jeremy at uh, the Downtown Pittsburgh um, Coalition, they got their hands full right now. Absolutely. With very difficult decisions. Um, but again, to the extent that we can participate in a solution, I think it'd be good. Well, there's, there's um, Light of Life. Right, which just built that incredible facility. Yeah, we go volunteer there. Michael could give him some pep talks, <laughs> right. some life um, lessons. But I, somebody's you know, got to bell the cat. Back to how does this relate to like our world in the real estate space? <laughs> and you guys are gonna crack. You, you up. see how he's running away from all this? I am. Yeah. No, I'm not running away. The reality is, so he's the topic got the was scooter on right sure now. Sure do. I wish it would have happened ten minutes ago. You know, la- <laughs> last week Paige came to me and talked about should a client buy or lease and can we do an analysis to help them work through that but you know this is part of the thing when you're buying something you are now fixed to it you so are let's permanent. just say you bought a building next to what is now a homeless tent community on the north shore substantially difficult to unwind that investment 
versus if you were leasing at Nova Place and you decided, you know what, I don't want to walk past this tent community anymore, you let at least burn off and you walk away. So I do think it, in a weird, twisted kind of a way, does relate back to should you own or should you lease and what are the pros and cons of all of the in-between. But to clarify, the the lease versus buy question that I asked you um, was in no relation to anything Correct. about the homeless. So, you know, we work with a lot of small business owners um, who are starting to make some of these decisions for the first time. And I did have um, a franchisee uh, client of ours ask, you know, so, for example, we can afford $5,000 a month in rent. Um, but the certain areas that they were looking in, you know, maybe there weren't a ton of options for lease. So they asked for a model on what could they afford to buy if they were willing to have a monthly burn of $5,000 in total. And um, I think the answer would probably surprise most people um, because you can't just buy a building where your mortgage is $5,000 a month and call it a done deal. So I guess talk a little bit about, you know, I, I called you, I presented you with this question. It's like, hey, do we have a model? Can we send a model? Um, and your response about um, what the lender would require um, for them to even purchase a building that would result in even $4,000 a month mortgage was what? Yeah, so I think the, the, the misnomer in the small business community is that if you own your building, you don't have to pay rent. And if you're in a position financially where you can buy the building with cash, then sure, you can, you know, let's just make up a number and say you're gonna buy a million dollar building. If you have a million dollars in cash, you could go spend a million dollars buy the building, not pay yourself rent, and effectively make that $5,000 a month situation disappear. Uh, the reality is if you don't have a million dollars and you wanna go buy a million dollar building, you're probably gonna to go to a bank and borrow some money, typically, depending on the situation, somewhere between 70 and 90% of what the value of that building is. So you're gonna get a loan for 700,000 to $900,000 um, if you use some SBA programs or some interesting ways to not have to come up with a ton of a down payment. But when you borrow that money, you now have a mortgage payment and the bank is gonna say, great, the company that owns this building which most often will not be the exact should same. Should not be your well, operating it be. company. Yes, it should no. be. <laughs> should not be. Should not be. That's where like, we should That's bring the first a lawyer to talk about that. But it should not be the same entity. Building. Yes. So the entity, let's just say Joe and Mary Smith LLC own the real estate, and then the operating company needs to use that real estate the bank is going to say, okay, we want the operating company to pay Mary and Joe Smith rent. And in your scenario where the client said, we want to have it be a wash, so we figure out what they can afford with $5,000 a month of mortgage payment, it's really not a wash because the company still needs to pay $5,000 a month to the real estate landlord. And, I, and I'm not talking people out of buying their own buildings, but 
um, if they could spend $5,000 a month, that's $60,000 per year. If you had a million-dollar building, basically you're capping your revenue at 6%. That is what you're going to get as far as a return goes. Is the million dollars that you have, would you have made a better return if that were in the market or if you had diversified that money in another manner? So in, in the answer to the question, should you buy or should you lease, or at least if it was posed to me, is I have no idea. It depends. And there's so many other variables. And I think the important thing is to let's just start to identify the variables and your options and the things that you go from there because there's just so many of them. And and just to rewind, you said you're capping your you're capping your rent at six percent. Where are you getting that number from? Uh, Sixty thousand dollars in rent. You don't have to slam your glass. I was just <laughs> no. asking a question. God damn it! Like God. Was it? $60,000, that would be your return on a million-dollar investment. If they were paying $60,000 a year in rent. Yeah, so if they bought something for a million dollars, that's a million-dollar investment. And they got $60,000 back every year. And then you have, maybe I am trying to talk people out of doing it, but (laughs) then you have the element, well, what happens when the value of the property goes up and you're stuck paying yourself $60,000 in a market where you should be making $120,000 in rent. So there's all sorts of interesting offshoots of that, that same question. Yeah, I mean, I think my immediate reaction to anybody who asks that question at this point in the career is, all right, do you want us to give you advice as a real estate investor or as an operating company? Yes. Because somebody in the relationship between, even though it's the same people, it's still Mary Jo and, or Mary and Joe Smith, who own the operating company and the real estate, one of the two parties, either the landlord or the tenant, is gonna lose. Like, you're going to make a sacrifice for one of the two entities, and I think that most people don't think about that. They just think, well, I'm gonna eliminate this expense, and it's like, well, no, you're not gonna eliminate it, you're just gonna shift risk. And where do you wanna shift the risk to, and why? Mm-hmm. are the questions that really need to get asked because as Michael points out is a 6% return on your investment a good rate of return versus whatever that million dollars of investment could have gone to in the operating company right like if your operating company is making 20% then in very simple math it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand invest the million dollars in the business cuz you're going to get a second a, location <laughs> you're going to get a 20% return on that versus a 6% return on the real estate but the other part that i wasn't factoring in there is what happens with the appreciation of a certain property too mm-hmm. you could buy something for a million dollars and all of a sudden turn around and 10 years later it's worth 2 million dollars so that negates all of that you know that that whole concept that this is what you're fixing your return at so you brought up appreciation and clearly that's the one that's really hard to model because people are like oh but I'm gonna invest and I'm gonna pay down the debt and then this building's gonna appreciate but we're not you know uh, savants in the sense that we don't have a crystal ball so we can't model you're gonna get 20% appreciation over the next 10 years I mean it's it is a faulty way. You can model it, but it's not accurate. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, you can make a spreadsheet say whatever you want it to say. Mm-hmm. So it would be very easy in our role to show somebody how they're going to make an investment and there's going to be all this appreciation at the end of the day, it's going to win. But I, I don't think we're being good stewards to our clients if 
we build financial models that assume best case outcomes on an appreciation schedule that just isn't real. True, but then you have the, let's just say, the open marketplace that looks at people that had warehouses in the strip district. Oh my By gosh, way of right. example, they looked at it and they saw a 500, 600% return on the purchase price and go, oh my God, this guy, it just, we got to own our own building. And it just, you can't predict that. You can't. Which is exactly why the conversation is do you want to be a real estate investor? Or do you want to own your own building? Absolutely. Because if you come to me and say, I want to make a real estate investment, what are the areas of Pittsburgh where I'm most likely, not guaranteed, but most likely to get appreciation? It's probably not the same place that you would want to open your operating business at this moment. Potentially. Or we at least could have an educated opinion on that matter. We could say, here are the areas of town where we suspect over the next 10 years, you're probably most likely to have appreciation. But that really doesn't solve for, is that the right place for the business? And, right. and, and I think another thing that has to be factored into it is where are you with your small business? There's some small businesses that are not startups. They've been in business for quite a period of time and they're looking, okay, I have extra money to put someplace. Then it becomes somewhat of a diversity play. Right. So there's uh, there are opportunities there where now you're separating into a family part of your business, you're getting a separate thing that, okay, now I know that this is secure here. I have my operating company. You're not being tied to, I, well, I have to feed the mortgage to make sure that they don't take my building away or I don't have to feed my company to make sure I have enough money to pay the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So there's other aspects of it. So in the ongoing wealth management or advisory components of small businesses that go through their life cycle, mm -hmm. that's an important thing to be considering while you're going through it. Mm -hmm. And again, it's different for everybody that will do it. Right. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, listen, Totem's not immune to the situation. We're in the real estate business. In theory, we know a little bit about it. And we do not own our own building. We're sitting here in Gateway uh, Towers. It's owned by Hertz Investment Group out of California. And We've just made a commitment to move to another Hertz building next door. Um, and I've definitely have had some people say, why don't you own your own building? Like, that's what you do for a living. And it's like, yeah, but the thing is that I want the company to accomplish relative to the environment and the space that we're looking for. We can't afford, we cannot buy a, you know, 24 story tower in downtown with um, incredible access points to the highway system, great access to the riverfront, great access to the point and the market square. Like purchasing doesn't jive with the goals of the organization, even though, yeah, would we like to make an investment in real estate, which we're doing on a daily basis in other areas? Sure we would, but it doesn't mesh with the office environment that we're looking at for Totem. Otherwise, we'd be making a sacrifice We'd be out in the suburbs. We wouldn't be participating in what is trying to be a revitalization of the town. So. But in the same breath, the offices that I have in West Virginia, mm -hmm. I own both of them. Yeah. So I did it specifically be, with the understanding that I'm not doing this to be a real estate investor and I'm not getting free rent. It's just this is the decision I made in developing the rest of those properties. Yeah. But you know, you know going in that you try to evaluate, you try to evaluate every dynamic that you're going to see. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you're going to get all of them, but that's exactly what you're trying to do. And I do think full circle back to the tent city thing, which, you know, when we <laughs> talked about these topics, it seemed like, well, how the, how do they correlate at all? But 
I think when you are a business, small, medium, large, whatever the case may be, if there's something about your process that is extremely unique and or very specific to you, like a foundry, for example, I've always used this as like the, the go-to uh, example, like you can't afford to no longer have your foundry. So the decision about owning versus leasing changes drastically because you can't be in a position where you give a landlord the ability to end your lease, right? Because if he ends your lease or she ends your lease because it has run its course, and every lease at some point runs its course, whether it's two-year lease, five-year lease, 20-year, 99-year lease, like at some point it runs its course. And if it's run its course and you're in the foundry business and you don't own the real estate and the landlord decides they don't want you there anymore, you no longer have a business. Absolutely. Because it's mission critical. Like the real estate is mission critical to the outcome. So I think that, you know, hopefully our clients recognize the best value we can add is making them think critically about is your real estate critical to your business? Yes or no. And then I think the decision about owning versus leasing uh, absolutely it comes changes right, the game. It comes right to the forefront. Right. You know, you don't want anybody else to control your destiny. And some things are just. But it's also a life stage thing because maybe you do for a little while. Maybe you're willing to have someone else control your destiny to offset some risk on your end. The foundry it's example. All about risk. That's such yeah, a good point. The foundry example is like you 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 would have to do that day one, but with the rest of it is you have to always be looking downstream. Okay, what are the consequences if I do this? What are the consequences if I do that? And it's interesting, right, in the conversations that we get to see behind the scenes, like how much the landlord doesn't or does know about the criticalness of the real estate, right? Because it's a leverage issue. Mm -hmm. Like if the real estate's critical and the landlord knows it, guess what? The relationship in that negotiation is heavily tilted toward the landlord. Wow. Versus if it either is critical and they don't know it or it's not critical, if you can pick up and move, you know, next month, it, it changes your ability to negotiate on a, on a lease or a purchase, actually. Well, you know, mentioning that, I think another thing that, that a lot of tenants fail to consider is there a point in time during a lease extension or a lease negotiation where you should really be looking at, okay, I have a, a lease that's coming up. The market is it, it's going to be a little bit more expensive for me. Should I entertain buying the facility that I'm actually in as a defensive play against the lease negotiation? Yeah. And again, it's the same kind of math exercise where I really should be looking at this if I owned it now, I'm the landlord, I'm getting the benefit of it. I'm not doing it as a real estate play. I'm actually doing it as a defensive play in negotiating with my landlord. We are working on a project right now in the South where a bank, it's a REO uh, situation where the bank took this property back. Mm -hmm. Bank owns the building. Bank is only marketing the building for sale. Our client only wants to lease. We toured the facility. Bank has said, okay, we will lease it to you under these terms the terms aren't great um and i have said to the client why don't you buy the building and lease it back to you do the improvements that are necessary put yourself in a position to succeed we'll then sign the five or ten year long lease that you wanted to sign in the first place then we'll turn around and sell it and you can recoup all of your capex 
And if we do a really good job, you'll actually probably, you know, recoup plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that light bulb had never gone off for this. And this is a, this is probably a multi-location, well-capitalized operating company. Though, so that doesn't always apply to a small business owner. Some Yeah, small business, single, two unit, three unit, four unit um operations or franchises um the the value add that you are discussing there is because of the credit of that tenancy that would be in place to sell it as an investment Mm -hmm. per podcast like number four or five where we talked about credit right yeah but there's that that would be one of those things where they never really considered it because it was never something that it's in the mainstream but you try to look at all the assets that you have there and all what, what are all the arrows in my quiver And And this is something that I can do to try to solve a problem that nobody else is looking at from this direction. And back to the discussion about, um, you know, if you're you're looking to renew a lease and the real estate um, is mission critical to what you are doing and you try to negotiate, you you try to buy the building. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work, does that screw you in? negotiating the lease extension like how do you navigate that so that showing your cards to be like hey we want to buy the building doesn't let the landlord know oh this is really important real estate to them i'm going to refuse to sell it i'm going to jack up their lease rate and be way less willing to negotiate on terms of this lease renewal with them (laughs) that's a great question and i Uh, think that's our job to make sure that the landlord never catches wind of that or is that a case, is that a scenario where in negotiating initial leases you would say to a tenant like a client that was a tenant even if you think you don't want to buy it now or if you think you, if you are do have one of those businesses where you have um, equipment or machinery or a layout or a location of a facility that's going to be mission critical to your operation even if you don't think you want to own it now put in a try to negotiate in a right to purchase mm-hmm. from day one. Yeah, a right to purchase or a right of first refusal. Um, and I think that, you know, you, you have to position it on the buyer side or our client side that, hey, we just want flexibility in our capital stack. Like we wanna make sure we understand where all of our chips lay versus saying to the landlord, hey, this is kind of mission critical, so we want to be able to control it in the future, which is like the exact same like end goal, but a totally different um, leverage creation with the landlord. Yeah, and it's totally how you position that. You know, if you're kind of a savvy landlord, you kind of expect someone is going to request that right to purchase it. And the situations, Lord knows what's going to happen in the future, but let's say it's to your benefit. Um, you know, we have a client who is a situation where they have seven properties. Am, am I getting this right? Seven properties with a right to purchase at rates that are below market. Substantially below Substantially market. below market. And there's an arbitrage opportunity in there that is going to equate to multiple seven figures of dollars. It's nice to have that arrow in your quiver. It is very nice. Mm-hmm. And even the, guy, the, the landlord that you're negotiating with, when he gave up that right, he had no idea what was going to change and anything like that. It just gives you that much more flexibility 
and considering that lease versus buy, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, and yeah. sometimes it's irrelevant. But it's never just a trade-off, $5,000 a month for rent. To lease it, $5,000 a it, month mortgage to own it. No. it that is There's not. so many that more moving parts false. of that. Yeah, and I think that, that that's the whole idea, is to identify as many ways as this can be positive, as it can be a negative, or even a wash. So the more that you do that. Not only do we need to come up with a name for this podcast, but we need to come up with some kind of cue for let's wrap it up. (laughs) Really thought that was the segue, Michael. (laughs) Here Uh, we are. Hey, this is a group of people who like to chat. So that's true. Wrapping is never an easy thing. Yes. Unless you. (laughs) I I don't even go there. I think you summed it up very well that. Just because you uh, have a $5,000 a month rent payment doesn't mean that you can buy a building with a $5,000 a month mortgage and call it a wash. Yeah. That is a fact. Unless you're not financing it. Well. Then maybe. Even if you're not financing financing it, it's still not a fact, but it it gets a little more gray, but uh, it's still definitely not a fact. Yeah, I think no matter what decision you're going to make, the more you look at it from a 20,000-foot point of view to see all the little impacts that can occur, you're going to be better off. Right. So with that, um, like us, dislike us, whatever it is. Like uh, me and dislike Michael. <laughs> or do that. I don't think you have that option on our uh, platforms. No, I mean in life. No. <laughs> oh, Actually, that would Man, be good. Paige can, is throwing, can we put that in there? Paige is throwing bombs to end, the, uh, end this one. <laughs> But, no, uh, but we do need a name. We need a name. We very so seriously need names. a name. Uh, we need we, guests. We need some guests because we really enjoyed episode 12 with Mr. Dolan, and we're excited about a few guests that we have on the horizon. Um, but we can't wrap 100% yet until a final verdict on the Village Bourbon. Oh, I liked it. This is, this is the absolute best Vermont bourbon I have ever had in my life. I'm gonna put it. Is that a is that a one of one? I'm gonna put yeah exactly. My my oh my gosh! My wife's grandmother used to always say, "You are my favorite favorite son-in-law." I'm like, well, I'm your only son-in-law, but thank you very much. You're the best. Um, I'm gonna say it's my second favorite that we've had on the uh, the podcast. Only second to our good friends down in Mississippi. Which are still hanging out up there. Old Soul. Yeah, Old Soul is spectacular. But uh, two for two with client gifts. Yeah, that that is fantastic. So clients, if you're listening. Especially if you're out of state and can actually get access to good bourbon, because Pennsylvania is kind of a dumpster fire when it comes to that. Yeah. So with that, cheers. Well, there's a challenge that we should scour the great state of uh, Pennsylvania to see. Is there a bourbon worthwhile that's few. podcast worthy? We haven't done it yet, but few. Yeah. That's a good one. And that's actually, Pennsylvania. A guy I went to college with works at a distillery near Philly. It's called Blue. Oh, I don't want to mess up the name, but I think it's called Bluebird. Uh huh. I could be wrong on that. Something's blue. But I have actually heard that their bourbon is very delightful. Well, with that. So I will find a bottle of that. Send us your bourbon. Okay. And have a good day. Thank you. <laughs>